I'm Libby Rothschild, creator of Dietitian Boss. After almost four years of sitting in my dimly lit windowless clinical office, I had enough. I wanted to feel like my work mattered, so I did something about it. I created a program that empowers dietitians and nutritionists to create their own private practice from scratch following my proprietary system. Before I did this, I had a private practice of my own while working a full-time job, and I learned a lot about building relationships, marketing, and sales, and I'm so excited to be able to share my proprietary framework with you. Hello and welcome. I'm so happy to be here today with Jale. She was, she's been a dietitian for over 25 years and a diabetic educator for 22 years. She's currently in school to get her master's on health psychology and then further pursue her license to become a therapist. Her passion includes working with the bariatric community, as well as working with obesity in children and adolescents. She connects with her clients through compassion, humor, and active listening to help them achieve their personal goals. If you could just share, Jale, where can we find you for your website and your social media handle? It's live it with Z, L-I-V-I-T-W-I-T-H-Z-E-E. That's my website, liveitwithz.com. My Instagram handle is liveitwithz. I chose that because I don't like being called a dietitian. I prefer to be called a libitician. And I don't expect anyone to know how to spell my name. So I just go by Z. It's so much easier. So live it instead of diet. And that's Ew. kind of where that whole thing came from. It's my business name. It's everything. It's kind of my brand, I guess. Very, very fun. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm really excited to have you on today because you are... Uh, such an interesting person with such a, a varied background and education and a passion for your clients, which I love. So I'm excited to share that with the listeners and inspire them. So you've been a dietitian for over 25 years and, and, a, and an educator, diabetes educator for 22 years. Can you share a little bit about, if not your journey to become a dietitian and, and why, but maybe some of the challenges and some of the trends you've seen over the last couple decades in the field. I think that would be helpful. So my decision to become a dietitian kind of just sort of fell in my lap. It wasn't what I was originally going to do. I actually had a much different idea about what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a human rights activist. Um, And my original major was political science. Um, And then I kind of veered off of that and went into psychology. And I thought, okay, well, with the bachelor's in psychology, I can't really do anything. So I'm going to do psychology, nutrition, and then do pre-med. So I did all that and applied for med school and took the MCAT and then decided I didn't want to be a doctor. So I think if I could go back now, I would go back and do it and I would go into endocrinology, which is where I've ended up anyway, more or less. Internships, they're hard for everyone. I'm going to definitely say my internship was challenging. It was in New Jersey. It was very clinical. Given your time as a dietitian, I was wondering if you could share how the industry of dietetics has changed over the last 20 years. You can even focus on the last five or 10 years. Um. So when I first started out, it was mostly everybody did clinical. There wasn't all of these specialties like there is now. Like now you can look online. There's specialties in children's nutrition, kid obesity, autism, And a lot of those things didn't exist as, or at least they weren't talked about back then, I guess, maybe they existed, but there's just so many more opportunities now that I see. And with the whole online industry, you can really put put yourself out there in the niche that you really want and people can find you. So I think that's the biggest change. The other um, 
change, I think, is that people are realizing they don't have to do clinical. Like they don't have to start with two years to get their experience in a hospital and then go forward. That's not really a thing anymore. So I think that's one of the biggest things, just like the opportunities that are out there. And um, yeah. And what do you think, uh, you know, that that's my whole shtick here at Dietitian Boss is that you don't need two years clinical. So I totally, obviously I'm biased, but I agree with that. What do you think contributes towards that thought process that us dietitians need two years? Like where, where did that myth come from? I don't know where the two years came from, but I know a lot of internships, or I know at least my internship at um, in New Jersey, I chose it because it was super clinical. And I think clinical is really pushed in a lot of internships. And so maybe that's where a lot of dietitians just expect they have to start. Um, but I don't know where the two year thing came from. I think it's just, you know, you get a job for two years and then you move on kind of mentality at this point. Like people aren't staying in their jobs for 30 years like they used to. Yeah. So, so we're seeing here a shift in the expectations of the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. It is to- totally true. Like our parents, different generation stayed in the same job and retired there. And that was very typical for, let's yeah. say one or two generations ago, but now um, with everything going on in the world, living in a post-pandemic economy, that's not the case. Not only are workers demanding flexibility, which I love, by the way, and I think that's, you know, very inclusive to different people who have different lifestyles and women who who need that flexibility, caretakers, et cetera. Um, so I think the demands of the workforce are changing and people aren't staying in the same job. And I think I, I'd have to talk to a recruiter, but I think that, you know, people who are hiring are not expecting you'd have the same spot for 10 years um, working if they're looking to, to employ a, a position. So I do think that that plays a big role and that's outside of dietetics, That right? That's a trend in the economy. But when it comes to dietetics, um, I'm not sure if you, you know this from what I've seen, the curriculum in dietetics hasn't been updated in, in nearly a century. So what that means is that there are, and I teach a, an elective at a university about di- dietetics and entrepreneurship, and I'm super proud of that. And I am a guest lecturer at different universities, but it's not required to talk about entrepreneurship. The word private practice is taboo. Anytime that I was in school, at least, it was always layered with, oh, but you can't do this yet. Like this is an option, you know, in 10 or 20 years from now. And so it wasn't, like you said, the opportunity wasn't positioned to us interns and students as something as a viable option. And so I always thought it, it really made me feel like I was never ready. Right. And that's partially why right. I started the business because I wanted dietitians to know whether you're starting a private practice from your clinical office, like I did and like you've done, or whether you want to go full force and, and skip clinical altogether or however you want to work it. Right. And whatever mm-hmm. system works for you, you have options. And and maybe you did before. It just wasn't as spoke about, or maybe social media has been a catalyst to that. But the options now, I think just talking about them and having you share that Mm -hmm. is so helpful for the listeners who are thinking, can I do this? Am I ready? And the answer is yes. It's just, it just feels uncomfortable, right? And then it's it's going Mm -hmm. to feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the whole fear, you know, in the past of hanging a shingle and opening a business, you know, in the past too, we didn't have all the online that we have now. I think the online really as much as COVID was horrible, I will say it really opened up the online experience for entrepreneurs. And we don't necessarily have to have an office where we rent out a space and we can just do it right at home. And that makes it so much easier. 
Um, it's not as scary thinking, oh, I need to rent out an office and I have to hang a shingle. I'm going to have to advertise in the old school and newspaper. So much has changed technologically that it's made it simpler to do. Yeah. And simpler, but also the learning curve of now having to be aware of these uh, tr- these digital modalities, right? Because mm-hmm. and, and, I, don't, and I, I fear sometimes in some of my work when I was younger in my business, I might've made it sound like digital is the only way. And that's not true. Like traditional marketing does work, right? So you can go to doctors, get referrals, you can put up an ad, uh, I mean, a billboard ad, that's tr- that's traditional marketing and it can work. That's how businesses for a long time have been able to generate revenue. Right. And in this competitive uh, economy, we, we also have an opportunity to leverage digital marketing, whether it's in addition mm-hmm. to those modalities, the tr- more traditional modalities, or you're just doing digital outright. It like, it always goes back to what you said, Jolly, which is that there are so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, my goal here is to showcase those opportunities. I, I would really hope that in academia, we can make it more common so that the future generation of dietitians knows that they have options and they don't have to wait. And that's really going to help more consumers get help from more dietitians in different specialties, right? Because there's definitely so much need, whether it's special needs or whether it's uh, we're talking about diabetes or whatever Mm -hmm. area of expertise, we need people who are going to be representing all those different facets and specialties in dietetics outside of just the clinical realm, right? Right. And I think, you know, having like both modalities where it's they're traditional, where you can be in the outpatient office or you can be in your own home either way. I think a lot of people um, that are looking for answers for their own health questions are starting to learn to look into like professionals that are online um, and they're realizing they don't have to necessarily go somewhere. They can do a phone call. Telehealth is crazy amazing with regards to you know, diabetes management, they're doing so many um, research projects now out there on how uh, telehealth and online support groups and all of that has just been phenomenal for patient access. That's amazing. And uh, that's, and I, I really don't want to uh, gloss over that because I could do a whole other episode and we could do a whole other episode on the benefits of telehealth accessibility for both the patient and the provider, right? And this is still new, right? The pandemic forced us to do this faster. Of course, we still have licensure laws we have to honor and the academy is trying to catch up with figuring out how we can be similar to some of our, you know, sisters in healthcare, nurses and doctors who have what's, I believe it's called like an umbrella policy or something where they can get credentialed in, in many states at once. And we don't yet have that. So there's work to be done for advocacy when it comes to some of the legalities, but we still do have more options than we've ever had before. And uh, it's just really fun to be to living to be living in a, in a world where that's possible and role modeling for the future generation and then helping our clients in a way we would have never been able to otherwise. Right. And we can reach so many more people. Like, for example, the Zooms I do for the bariatric support group, I sometimes have 80 to 90 people. If that was in a classroom, you would not have that. It would be hard. You know? It would be, it would be right? like, a, it would be like speaking on a stage, right? 80 to 90 people is a lot. It's a big it room. Is. And, you know, but on Zoom, it's doable. You know, yeah. you keep everyone muted. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
Well, that's and a whole different etiquette, right? Yeah. Versus. Um, right, right. And, and I always tell them it's not that I don't love you. It's just the background noise gets distracting. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. I feel that way with more than one person. And I, I know 80 is, is a lot. And that also props mm-hmm. to you to have the skill to navigate and, and facilitate and lead 80 patients. That's incredible. So thank you for the it's work. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it is fun. It is fun. Um, and, and it's just, again, it's, it's a really cool opportunity that, that we're mm-hmm. able to take advantage of. So I think stepping into that as a dietitian and, and not, we can be scared, right? Of course, but still moving forward with that fear is, is what can help us reach more people. And ultimately that's what it's about is we want to be able to reach more people, which also equates to um, making more money and can equate right. to having more impact and then bringing, uh, you know, achieving our goals of flexibility as well as bringing shedding light to the name of what dietitians do. So, right. Any, right. Any, any other final words on that topic that you want to share with us, Shelley? No, I I think it's just, I think it's awesome that technology has brought that to us and we need to be able to utilize it um, to the best of our abilities. And, um, you know, not to say that we should let go of all the older methods or previous methods, but, you know, incorporating them, I think is going to be really valuable to the field. Intuitive eating doesn't mean you're just going to eat donuts because that's what you want. It's you're actually going to listen to what your body says it needs and wants and honor what your body truly means. Yeah, absolutely. And I do agree that it can be misunderstood. And that's the hard part about being innovative and forward thinking when you're uh, mm-hmm. representing anything new is that it's it's hard to to get people to really understand it. it, it just, look at AI, artificial intelligence, right? It's still this new concept that people are learning and it'll take a while. And I feel that health at every size and intuitive eating are, are similar, especially if our culture is so trained to think of diet and calories in and out. And so you're trying to now be inclusive about your approach. When I say you, I mean, people in general, it can be challenging for, for mindsets for, for consumers to change. And that's why it's important for dietitians to be sensitive and aware. And also, which is a good segue to the next point of the conversation, those behavior change modification skills, those counseling skills are so important. And I, one of the things that stands out to me about you and how great you are, in addition to your multiple revenue streams, which we'll get to in a minute, is your your not only passion, but your your skill in counseling. So can you talk a little bit about what helped you get better in counseling? I know you're going back to school to be a therapist, but what helped you, what made you so attracted to that piece of dietetics and what helped you hone in on your counseling skills? I would say, you know, and this is probably going to get a little personal, but I would say my own experience in meeting with a dietitian as a teenager, I had issues with body image, obviously in high school, like many girls do. Yeah. And I went down the anorexia route and my mom took me to a dietitian about 30 miles away. And this lady just pointed her, I got, she was old to me because I was 17. She was probably in her sixties, which I'm so close to that now. I don't want to call her old, but she just, you know, pointed her little finger at me and said you're killing yourself and you know that was kind of my plan and I didn't she didn't ask why I was doing it she didn't try to understand it she just scolded me and said you need to eat 1500 calories a day at that time I was eating a carrot a day and drinking iced tea so I walked out of there and I looked at my mom and I said that's stupid she's stupid don't ever take me back there that's the dumbest profession I've ever seen why would anybody ever do that My mom took me back a second time and 
she was equally non-emotional about anything. And she was like, oh, so you're still alive. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't do your 1200 or 1500 calories, you know? So she kind of still didn't connect with me. She kind of had that scolding personality, you know, dictating what I needed to do and not trying to understand it. So I think that's why I come to my clients with a different understanding. Like, you know, talk to me about why you're making these choices. Tell me what you'd like to get out of today's appointment. Tell me, you know, what has been your biggest struggle? Talk to me about those things. And then going from there, I sort of guide the conversation a little bit, but I let them maintain the control of the conversation to an extent, but I guide it. I love that. So I want to dive more into that because that's called motivational interviewing. Would you agree? Behavior change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The gold standard of of counseling. And I would say a lot of dietitians are not trained in this formally or informally. I don't think that we all um, assess and measure and really put energy into our performance as motivational interviewers. Mm -hmm. I've taught it um, in, in higher education. I love motivational interviewing but it's not required, right? I don't, not that I know of. And I wish that dietetics taught entrepreneurship and motivational interviewing because mm-hmm. without behavior change modification, we are, unfortunately, we, we do drive towards that dictatorship type of style mm-hmm. because we're not aware of how to have conversations. And it's really a communication skill that can, anyone can learn. I believe anyone can learn entrepreneurship. I believe anyone can learn behavior change modification in context of what is a good way to talk to somebody where, like you said, you're not a hundred percent leading, but you are making it client centered. You're asking them open-ended mm-hmm. questions. You're making it about them. The agenda is set by them, not you. And that's what really motivates them to like elicit change versus you telling them you have to eat this, you know, 1200 calorie diet, which obviously it doesn't work and people don't mm-hmm. like that. Right. But it, it's all about finding out what is the person in front of you like and want and need. And then obviously you have that skill to be able to do that. And that's how you've been mm-hmm. able to build a strong relationship with their clients. So what helped you do that? And I understand that you had that experience and motivated you to do a better job than what she did. And thank you for self-disclosing that because that is really personal. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. disclose that to your clients, but that's really connecting. Occasionally, it depends. You know, I do like you know, they'll say something, you know, like spark. Oh yeah. You know, I know somebody else that happened to, or I might even say, oh yeah, that happened to me as well. And I've had that a similar feeling. I never, ever tell a client, I know how that feels because you cannot know what that client is feeling. You can say, oh, I've had a similar feeling or people have said similar things, but you know, you can't really like assume to know exactly what they're thinking or feeling. You're, you're going to be yeah. such a great therapist. I already know. It. And I know you want to teach, right? Mm-hmm. You want to teach behavior change and you're going to do a fantastic job with that. So when mm-hmm. it comes to, so you shared your story about what motivated you to become a dietitian. You've gone down the path of you do assessments, but you also do counseling. Can you give a couple tips or maybe share a story, obviously not identifying information about either what helped you dive in and know that this was a good skill as a dietitian or was there a certain patient or client or situation that you felt was memorable, similar to your story of visiting that gal who obviously didn't empathize with you and helped you realize that empathizing with others would help change their lives? Right. You know, one of the very first clients I met with was actually in a hospital. Um, and he was giving up on life. He was done. He weighed 500 pounds or more, 
he just felt like it was death row. There was no hope for him. And not that we have a lot of time in the hospital to really connect with our patients, but I went in and I took the extra time at the end of my day, almost daily with him, just to check in, see how he's doing, how he's feeling, you know, and we talked about what was going on in his life. We didn't really talk about food, really, but we just talked about what motivated him and what his passions were and what his goals in life were. And then we started talking about, well, how can you get to that? You know, what what are you going to do to get there? And he was probably one of my very first bariatric patients. He ended up getting out of the hospital, which he thought he would never do. He ended up going on to have gastric weight loss surgery. And now he passionately has, he, he goes and helps homeless people in his state where he lives. And he goes and talks to the members of like the state house of reps and all of that. Like, so he, he's very also compassionate. He's also a singer. And so I listened to his music and I recently connected with him because I had a memory come up on my Facebook and it was him saying how thankful he was that me and this other physician never gave up on him. And so that memory came up. And so I sent it to him and I said, you know, not only did you just survive, you're thriving and look at all the good you've done. So it's kind of cool. That was, that's probably one of my most memorable, memorable patients, I would say. And I think that's what really got me into where I am now, as far as within the bariatric community. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, first of all, you're great at telling stories. You've already told a couple that I won't forget, including that when you went to see a a dietitian when you were younger and how that helped transform your, your career trajectory and how this gentleman and his body of work in the community impacted you after you and and the physician impacted him and then he giving you credit is, is nice right because it's a way for yeah. you to feel like you made a difference and so you're saying that helped you with the the bariatric niche which I know you like to work with bariatric but in terms of compassion and counseling did you notice that using some of those skills we just spoke about making it about him client-centered did that help mm-hmm. you foster the relationship and see some kind of change in him absolutely because not only like with him, but let's say I'm working with an adolescent, you know, I always ask them, what do you want? What is something you enjoy? Oh, it's wrestling or it's karate or it's whatever they enjoy. So tell me what somebody who is really good at that, what kinds of choices do they make? How do they achieve their goals within their passion? I always try to get you, the client, to identify the passion and then sort of go from there okay how can we get you to that spot to where you want to be in that activity or whatever it is right I've had people after talking with me they decided to go back to school I've had people you know it's not so much nutrition counseling it's kind of almost like life counseling you know because as most dietitians well I won't say most but I will say for me it's never about the food it's rarely about the actual food. It's about what drives the food choices. And so I try to find what's going to drive them to want to change. And that's where it comes in, the compassion, the passion, and just listening to their dreams and what they want. 
And in terms of you, first of all, I agree that it's, and it sounds counterintuitive, right? A dietitian is not about dieting and, you know, food issues is not about the food. And so that's why it's so special to have you on, on this podcast episode, share your story and impart your wisdom because having over two decades in the field, not only as a dietitian, but a certified diabetes educator, there's so much knowledge and experience that you can pass down, especially as you're adding more education with becoming a therapist that, that, that. I feel dietitians can learn from, even if they're further along in their career or not. There's so many dietitians that struggle with how to effectively get retention, right? Retain a client and how Mm -hmm. to effectively create a good experience. And I think it's largely because of communication issues, Mm -hmm. which would involve counseling. So you just gave some great tips and I I appreciate that. Would you agree that you think that counseling is um, one of the barriers for dietitians? I think so. I don't think we get enough education in the counseling field. And I think also, you know, there's such lines of what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do and how deep we can go with the work. That's true. As, you know, I think dietitians in general, they would be really good maybe at referring to therapists. And I see more and more and more of that lately, yeah. you know, like really get your therapy, you know, it, it's not about the food, especially with the bariatric community, for example, you know, you're, it's surgery on your stomach. It's not surgery on your brain. And, you know, that first year, year and a half, that honeymoon period is great. You're losing the weight, you're making some changes, but at that year and a half mark where you're not seeing that scale change and you're not seeing, you know, you're not still getting all those compliments you used to get. And it's kind of, now this is your new norm. And it's hard to readjust to that without working on what was going on up here that got you into an unhealthy or an unhealthy state where you no longer wanted to be. Would you, yeah, yeah, and thank you for that, that example. I think that was really helpful and it showcases your expertise in the bariatric community as well. So that's awesome positioning on your end. Now, it just made me think, and if, if we're not aware on the spot, that's okay, but would you say there's any kind of distinguishing factor between motivational interviewing and actual like therapeutic counseling to make sure that dietitians stay within their scope? And if there is, would you be able to share one or two tips? I can, I can always put a resource in the show notes, but I didn't know if you had any, anything that kind of like, oh, that's crossing the lines. So similar to MNT and, and um, you know, nutrition education. I think that's a little more clear, right? Hey, we can't uh, provide MNT if if that's outside of scope or or depending on how we're practicing. But when it comes to counseling, is there something similar? I think so because when you're doing motivational interviewing, you're asking them what's your why. Yeah. Why do you want to change? Or you're asking them what's your barriers. Okay. Well, my barrier is let's say for example, anytime I'm sad, I reach for food. Well, talk to me about when that started, if you can remember. It started when I was a teenager and I was, I felt really ignored by my family, whatever. Oh, have you ever talked to a therapist about those feelings? That's where you do that segue because as dietitians, we're not quote therapists. We can listen, but we can't really advise or, you know, there's been lots of different things people have said to me and the stories could shock anyone or no one for that matter, because people eat for so many different reasons. And I think that's where, as a dietitian, you can kind of make that segue. You know, that sounds like that was a really tough time. Have you ever talked to a therapist about it? Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, tell me more about that. 
because then you're delving into more of a therapy like tell me more about what happened when you were 10 years old or whatever you know and that could leave a very uncomfortable situation I had a situation where it was relatively new in my career and somebody divulged information to me and I did not know what to do with it yeah and I tried to pretend like I did but I really didn't and it would have been better for me at that point to say have you ever spoken with a therapist about that and did you, did you handle it in that way? Or you just know in retrospect that you would have handled it that way now because it was over kind of, it was outside of the scope of a dietitian. Right. I would, in retrospect, handle it that way now sure. because I wasn't equipped then, you know, and it was like a very shocking statement. And I don't know if he was saying it just to shock me, but it definitely shocked me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. Like, you just, you, you want to be helpful, you want, but you also want to provide the right resources for people. Sure. Yeah. And, and in doing so, that means that we are not a one-stop shop. And if things mm-hmm. do go into other, they cross over into other right. specializations, the same way that we want people to refer to us, we want to also refer. Right. Um, right. That's the best interest of the patient, right? Because we're, exactly. we're all about being client-centered and we want the best for them. I always get asked questions too about like medications, for example. Or, or, you know, and I always tell them, you know, it's out of my scope to discuss, you know, blah, 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 medication. That's a great question for your pharmacist or for your doctor. And send them back to whose scope that is. Because number one, we are liable for what we tell our clients. And if we give them the wrong information, that's not only looking, that, that could harm the client, but that also looks poorly on the dietitian community if we're giving wrong information. It does. So I try to support the dietitian community by making sure I'm telling them who to ask those questions of. You're, you're such a wonderful advocate and that segues well uh, into the, the last part of our conversation today, which is you being an advocate and representing for something that so few dietitians do. And that would be creating multiple revenue streams, particularly online revenue streams, in addition to the multiple things you do uh, in your day-to-day, can you share a little bit about um, what you're up to and uh, what some of these struggles have been and and how you've overcome them? So one of the things I will definitely say is time is a huge issue for me because I work a lot as an understatement, probably 50 to 60 hours a week, and I'm in school. So while I'm trying to build a business, So I will say, you know, hiring an assistant has been a godsend. I was one of her first clients as a a dietitian, and we've been together now almost a year. And she built my website. She does my newsletters. She does my weekly quotes. She does a lot for my Instagram posts. She, you know, and, and is all of that revenue building? Ultimately, yes, because then that's how I get clients. I have the online e cookbook for bariatric recipes or just high protein, low carb recipes is what it's called. And then I'm also, she's, she and I are working together on putting together a journal, which we're going to start promoting at the end of December because everybody, January is like, oh, let's get healthy, which I try to avoid kind of like I'll start again on Monday concept. It's only Tuesday, but I'll start on Monday because, you know, it gives me six more days. So I use those concepts a lot. Another thing I'm working on putting together, and I haven't fully done it yet, is I have a class that I'm going to do 
um, a six-week course. And I also am going to start, you know, with Practice Better, you can do food journals. So I'm going to start evaluating people's food journals and giving them feedback on a weekly basis. I just haven't figured out the timing on that yet. Right now, I have kind of a motivational thing going on, and it's not a revenue source, but it's to get people up and moving, and it's my steps challenge for the month of November, and it's going to be weekly prizes. It's not competing with others. It's competing with yourself, and you know, I want people to do more than what they thought they were going to do, and to have that self, I don't know, satisfaction that they can do what they set out to do. Yeah, that's that's great. And congrats on hiring and having help so that you can get back some of that time. So your awareness to know, hey, I'm struggling with time right now because you're managing multiple things and then solve it and have it go smoothly and still reach your goals of getting stuff out there on the internet. It goes to show that you are highly capable of getting things moving, which is great because it takes skills to be able to do that, right? It does. It does. Now I just need to hire a wedding assistant. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's, and, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know if I, if I can help you with that, but we can definitely talk about it. And in terms of anything, is there anything else you want to share in terms of tips or tricks or, or things that would help the listeners when it comes to whether it be online business or social media or like breaking through barriers? Is there any, any tips that would help them similar to the tips that you gave with the counseling skills? One of the things I always try to do, and I love that question, is if I'm not familiar with what the client needs, I will not just look it up and try to do it because I don't want to waste the client's time. I will send them somebody who does that, like a GI dietitian or an HA dietitian or whatever it is, because it's not my area of expertise. And I don't want like I said, waste somebody's time or like menopause and weight gain. That's not my, I mean, I know about it, but I want people to get the help from people who actually specialize in those areas. So I think as dietitians, we have to understand that we don't have to do it all. And it's okay to refer to our colleagues. I think that's a really important piece. I had a client who was Arabic speaking. I referred him to a dietitian who spoke Arabic. Like, you know, because I, because it's better for the client. Make it about the client always and not about yourself in this position because that's where you're gonna get the most respect from people and that's where you're gonna get more referrals. Oh, this lady was great. She might not have been able to help me, but she was able to help me by referring me. But I think based on what I know, she can help you, you know what I mean? So really trying to help people find who the right person is for them. Yeah. And that's a, a mature thing to say because it, it can be easy to, to try to, oh, they came to me, I'll solve it. I, I'm a dietitian and know how I can help them. But the reality mm-hmm. is if you make your business about the client and not about you, like you've shown through various examples, whether it be through their, you know, their needs at the time or making the counseling about them instead of a dictatorship, it really does benefit them. And they know. They, and then they come back and they turn around and say thank you to you on Facebook and they refer you. And oh, all yeah, absolutely. So payoff another, might not be immediate, but it, it is, there is a payoff. Right, absolutely. And another thing I think that's really important, and when I have an intern and when I was doing outpatient at the hospital and I had an intern, I always made sure, you know, you don't go into a client with your agenda. 
you, yeah. you, we want to educate, educate, educate. That's what we're taught in our internships. Educate yeah. them. You know, tell them what a carbohydrate is. Tell them how many grams of carbs are in a quarter cup of grape nuts. Well, maybe they don't eat grape nuts, so they don't really care about that, right? So yeah. you can't go in with this agenda. I mean, pre I never pre-print material when I'm going to meet with somebody outpatient. I talk to them, get an idea of what they really need, and then I'll print what I think is going to be good for them. Oh, great. I love that. And I think that's a great tip. And it goes to show that if the listeners want to know what does client-centered mean, you are giving so many examples, so many stories, so much context. Like you said, if they you know, speak Arabic, you recommend them to an Arabic-speaking dietitian. If they come in and they have something GI-related that you don't have enough knowledge in, you go ahead and, and make sure you make that referral or you're starting to divulge things that are outside of your scope and you'll let them know that would be great to share with their therapist. Or if it's about medications, like you said, then you let them know which person pharmacists, et cetera, would be the person they could talk to. And then you document that so that you make sure you're mm -hmm. representing us dietitians well as, as being interdisciplinary team players, right? And that's that's what I'm hearing from you. And it's so wonderful to have all of your 20 plus years of knowledge and experience, not only shared on this podcast and shared with the community, but also shared through your multiple revenue streams online, right? Through your newsletter that you send out to your community through your um, programming and your ebook and all of the information that you have available for purchase so that you can help more people. So thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. I will definitely say, you know, through you, I've been given a lot of confidence because okay. I don't think I would be where I am if I hadn't joined Dietitian Boss. Sweet. I don't know that I would have had the confidence to like do any of this. You know, I had opened up an Instagram, but I had like three posts on it. It was like, okay, I know I need to do something with this, but what do I really want to do? Where do I want to take this? And so I think it's, You've been really instrumental, honestly. And I say that authentically. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And, has to say that. <laughs> and th thank you for, for the kind words. And is was there something particular in, in the program that helped you build the confidence? Or is it just the kind of the whole kind of investing in yourself piece? Or was there something particular? I think I really like the monthly Zooms. Huh. That's good when I now that I can join them more too. But the modules are great. They kind of got me thinking, what do I really want to do? And so I would say both of those and just the feedback that, you know, I know that when we pose a question, we get feedback relatively quickly. So I, I think all of that is together makes it a great program. Thank you so much. I'm happy to hear that. We're, we're thrilled to work with you and thrilled to have you represent all the great things that you do from bariatrics to advocating for your patient to counseling to continued education right because we're continuous learners and mm -hmm. diabetics right from your your credentials as certified diabetes educator to now going on therapists and going back to school and you do a lot jolly for your community for your family you do a lot and you're obviously an overachiever which is what a lot of our you know community is and so I know the listeners can relate, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come without hesitation and uh, setbacks and us needing to like, take a look within and become resilient when we're feeling uncomfortable. So I uh, appreciate you sharing your story and you, you're a very good storyteller. So please keep doing it to, when you're doing your reels on social, whatever you're comfortable with, 
or build up the, the comfort with, those are really relatable stories that you shared. So for mm -hmm. the listeners, I hope that you understand that stories are a great way to connect with your community and to build your, your reputation because people remember stories, they don't remember facts. Right. And I always tell stories. I think I got it from my dad. He's a storyteller. It's a gift. It's it's a total it gift. And it makes people do your clients say they remember you from that? Or is it just me that says that? <laughs> oh no, like I'll get clients that'll message me and say, I was at the grocery store and your voice came into my head based on blah 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 that you told me in class. And I'm like, Yay. That's really, you know, if I'm if I'm coming into their heads at the grocery store, I know I'm having an impact. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, if you're coming into their heads at all. Right. Right. Exactly. It is exactly. Especially in a positive, if I'm coming into their heads in a positive way, <laughs> Not, I don't want to go in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. Well, that's excellent feedback. And again, it's a testament to everything you've spoken about today, which includes making it about them. Right. That's the whole general like theme I got from today is being client centered from all the, the stories and the threads of our communication. So on that note, is there anything you want to any last words or maybe reshare your social so that folks can connect with you online and then we'll wrap up today's episode. One other thing I always, always yeah. tell people, right. As I'm like, you know, kind of completing something with a client, it's, you never want to ask, do you have questions? You always want to ask what questions do you have? That was a lot of information. What questions do you have? Because then you're assuming that they have questions and they feel safe to ask them. If you say, do you have questions? The client's going to be like, nope, you just said everything and I don't want to look stupid. So no, I don't have any questions. Always, always, that was drilled into me in my internship. If we ever finished a project or a presentation and we said, do you have questions? We were automatically failed. So always ask, that was a lot of information. What questions do you have based on what we talked about? I'm going to have to take that to heart for when I do my live teaching because I don't think I frame it that way. So thank you. I don't want to get a fail from my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would auto fail. I mean, we had directors of our internship. They were pretty. That sounds right on that one. That was like, I don't know if that, that would apply these days. <laughs> well, but when I have an intern and they're in with a patient, I always tell them ahead of time, you're not going to ask them, do you have questions? I love um, it. I always make sure that they come with that other approach because it's inviting questions as opposed yeah, to shutting them down. I, there's so many, yeah. so many good tips from today's episode. This was so much fun. I already want to have you back. I'm already thinking <laughs> about another. I'm like, what can, what can we talk about next? So we can dive into so many themes. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah. one more. Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to share my Instagram. Yes. That would which be was, Yeah. It was Live it with Z L I V I T W I T H C E E, your favorite Livetician. Yes, and uh, for all, all the listeners, please connect with Jale online. And she's a she's a fun storyteller with a lot of experience and loves connecting with with our peers. So thank you again, and uh, this was so much fun. Thank you. If you're looking for support to start, grow, and scale your dietitian private practice, I want to invite you to work with me and my team. We have a few different options. Head over to dietitianboss.com and apply to have a conversation with somebody from our sales team to discuss your options for your budget and stage of business. Head over to dietitianboss.com and we look forward to connecting.